Welcome to the Cine Matchups podcast. We are your hosts, Kim Kohler and Sean Rodenberg. And we are here for the second episode of season two, which is our pick your all time favorite movie bracket challenge. So today we have for you Donnie Darko, which is our fourth seed versus The Perks of Being a Wallflower, which is our fifth seed. Not a whole lot of difference in the consensus scores for these movies. So want to explain why one is a four and one is a five, because they actually have the same Rotten Tomatoes approval rating. So they both come in at an 86%. So the way we figured out four versus five is I went off of the Metacritic score, which was the next thing that That's I the thought. tiebreaker. Yeah, that was the tiebreaker score. So Donnie Darko came in at a 71 on Metacritic and Perks came in at a 67. So that's how I figured out four versus five seed. But they do have the same Rotten Tomatoes rating, which is really interesting and a testament, I think, to all the movies in this bracket that they're all pretty high rated that we don't see a lot of Things I think under 30% maybe. I guess we'll see when we get to those 16 seeds. But as opposed to some of our last brackets where we had some movies that were like a 1% approval rating and a 7, I think the the host was a 7% approval rating. We don't really have any of those in that in this bracket, which is really cool. So let me get into these movies a little bit. So first up, we have Donnie Darko, which like I said, comes in at an 86% approval rating on Rotten Tomatoes. Actually, the film debut by Seth Rogen. He had just come off of Freaks and Geeks. And fun fact, I saw when researching this movie, the first line of his movie career was, I like your boobs. And seems very Seth Rogen career trajectory. And then he wrote a bunch of movies about that line. <laughs> he really did, which I thought was very funny and very true to kind of who he is and what type of comedy he's in. So that's just a little aside. Also, some fun things I found about this movie. Um, and I think we'll talk about our views on this as it goes on. But at the rap party, both Jake Gyllenhaal and Seth Rogen were talking about this movie. And both of them were like, yeah, I don't understand what it's about. So I, I think a lot of people don't understand what it's about when they watch this movie. And I don't think that's the point of it. You can't really nail it down. But like I said, we'll get into that a little bit later. Going over to Perks of Being a Wallflower comes in at an 86% approval rating on Rotten Tomatoes. Um, cool thing about this movie is that it was directed and written by the author of the book. So he wrote the screenplay. He directed it. Originally, John Hughes had the rights to this. And uh, yeah, I, I forgot who all was going to star in it. Um, but Molly he, Ringwald. No, it wasn't. But he originally had the rights to it and then passed away. And then it became an independent film. So the author of the book picked it up and did the screenplay, picked the cast um, purposely too. it seems picked a lot of young Hollywood stars, Emma Watson, I think being the biggest one and said he wanted to pick some of these young kids to do it. And these kids who are in the age range of just past high school, because he wanted them to have this authentic kind of high school experience while filming this movie. And Emma Watson was very verbal in saying that's exactly what happened. It was her favorite role she's done. Um, and it, it just, uh. I guess Hogwarts wasn't that good of a high school. <laughs> I guess not. Um, but yeah, I think that's really cool that he acknowledged that a lot of these kids who have grown up in the spotlight and who really didn't have that normal sense of what a high school life looks like, what socialization in high school looks like, um, were able to be thrown into this movie and kind of get a little bit of that experience. So I thought that was really cool. On the dramatic sense of high school, right? 
Yes, the the underbelly layers of high school. Because this is not how high schools go, and we can talk about that a little bit. Okay, well, let's talk about it now. We'll transition right into strengths and weaknesses, as we do. And let me talk about my strengths of this movie. I have a thousand, by the way, so strap in. One of my biggest strengths in this movie is the complexities of these characters. And not that this is just a situational high school movie. Not saying that situational high school movies are bad. I'm just saying, look at this compared to Mean Girls. Mean Girls is very, pretty much external. I mean, the characters deal with a lot of internal conflicts with social groups and friendships and popularity and all of that, but not as deep as you see in this movie. Mean Girls is very situational comedy. And this is very like some bad things happen to people, but you see more the internalization of that in the characters and how that relates to them socializing specifically. I think Charlie's the biggest one in this. Um, But I think that's so different for a high school movie that you get to feel these feelings, which is my biggest strength of all movies. And my biggest strength of this movie is that you feel that pain that these characters feel. You feel the friendship. You feel those little bursts of joy that Charlie feels when he's included in these parties, when they're toasting to him, when he's being called a friend. All of these little things that come up, they portray them so well and they come across the screen so well. One of my favorite scenes in this movie is when he's laying in the snow after the party, making a snow angel and having flashbacks to his Aunt Helen, having flashbacks to some of the traumas that happened in his life. And you can feel his pain. You could feel him go from this joy, this elation, this cloud nine of being on top of the world with having this friend group. And then the slow kind of decline that comes with that and the reflare up of some of these PTSD symptoms he's experiencing. It's just so great that you can feel all these things that these characters feel in this movie. Yeah. And there's something that I wanted to grab from your little monologue that you did there. And that's the idea of friendship. And I think that's very important in these characters. Specifically, one of my favorite parts was the friendship between Charlie and Patrick specifically. I think that their bond ends up being almost the strongest because Patrick is the first glimpse into that friend group that he gets while he's in shop class. And Patrick's character is so interesting because he is seen in high school as this nothing. goofball. He's nothing. People make fun of him. They know he's gay. So they make fun of him for that. And here comes Charlie, who's just looking for people to love and looking for people to accept and passes no judgment on anything that Patrick has done or anything that he is. And it's one of the first people besides Sam who has come into his life with just this open armed, no judgment I accept you for who you are kind of thing. And I think he really is drawn towards that and finds just such a deep admiration and love for Charlie throughout this film and appreciates him so much. And that friendship is really great to watch on screen. Yeah, it's my favorite of all the friendships that Charlie makes because Charlie's the character, right? Everything goes through him. One of my favorite things about this movie is it shows that Charlie actually has a really great support system, which you don't usually see in these movies. Usually it ends up being like Charlie's got nobody to talk to. And Well, he started out that way. Yes and no. Right. Because we don't see it in the beginning of the movie, but he seems very close to his brother who's off at college. And when, when his brother comes back, he's very supportive of him, even though they are basically complete opposites. Right. 
Charlie is not very social or cool and his brother ends up being whatever star of the football team last year. And also his sister who ends up being cool, but she is still there for him whenever he asks. Um, So are his parents. So he already has this very strong support system. The friends just add to it. And I think that's very great because going back to Mean Girls, which is a very interesting comparison to make to this movie for a couple of reasons. And one thing about Mean Girls is... Her parents don't know anything about what she's doing in the entire movie, right? They're basically blindsided until she gets in trouble. And they're like, wait, what happened? We moved you here in order to help you grow as a person. And you're writing burn books about fugly sluts. That's not cool. But this movie shows that a good support system is there for him. So I want to go into a couple other strengths because I do have quite a few of them and maybe some of them will piggyback off of yours and I'm sure you have more as well. But I mentioned this briefly when I first started talking about this movie and I want to speak a little bit to the portrayal of PTSD in this movie and just how well done it is before we get into some maybe some lighter topics because I know this is a pretty heavy topic in this film. So for background, for people who haven't seen this, we get these little glimpses of Charlie's past as it goes through this movie. And I think it's really great the way they do it because you're sort of getting glimpses of what happened to him and why he is the way he is with relationships, with just his socialization as you go on and as his friends start to see that as well. It's almost like he's opening up to his friends at the same time he's opening up to the viewers, which is really fantastic to see. So if you haven't seen this movie, if you haven't read this book, uh, Charlie goes through quite a bit of things in his childhood. In his past, he has this Aunt Helen who died on his birthday when he was very young. She got into a car accident, was hit by a truck and died. But there's also some complexities of there because we find out later that she also sexually abused him as a child. And he feels very responsible for her death. He feels very mixed emotions about what happened to him as a child and being a survivor of sexual abuse and how that plays a part into him feeling empathetic towards other people and being a a huge empath, I think, in this whole movie and just really feeling other people's experiences. And he talks about that towards the end of the movie when he's psychiatrically hospitalized, that he just feels other people's pain. And I think it comes from this guilt of his aunt and these emotions that went with all of the complexities of their relationship and having to process those at a very young age. But also we find out that his only best friend before going into high school committed suicide suicide. And he's still dealing with that. And it slips up and Sam finds out about this. And that's kind of where they spark this insight that Charlie is kind of a loner and doesn't really have a lot of friends and maybe has some deeper shit going on than they really recognize. And I think just his little asides about PTSD throughout this movie are just so fantastic of talking about how the memories come up, but he's able to push them down quickly now when he's talking to his brother at the dinner scene when his brother comes home from college and how he's doing much better because he's able to manage these flashbacks, these intrusive thoughts better. And let me just say, like coming from the mental health world, they cover these symptoms of PTSD so well. Like it's very clear cut what he's going through. You have the flashbacks, you have the intrusive symptoms, you have the irritability, all of the things that come with PTSD. It's just done really well. And I think very subtly, but very powerfully. And I really appreciate that in a movie about teens and goes back to what we were talking about of these under layers of 
being a teenager, being in high school, that not everyone is just going through what they go through in high school. There's so many things when you peel back the layers that went on in childhood, going on in past friendships and why they emote and socialize the way they do now. And I think Charlie's character is just such a well-rounded character and just it feels very full and very authentic to a human being. And I really, really appreciated that in this movie. This movie feels unique. It feels like you have not seen this version of a high school movie because it very easily could have gone the simple plan. Nobody understands me. I'm an angsty teen type of way. And it doesn't. Right. And it navigates it so well that it feels very fresh when you're watching it. That's another great thing about this movie. And there's so many reasons why it feels fresh too. what another strength I put down that I think adds to what you're saying is the soundtrack. The soundtrack feels fresh, not because it's new music. Some of it is some of it. I think us watching, like I didn't know some of the songs in the soundtrack, but then you have David Bowie who they don't know who it is. They're like, what is that song? I can't figure out Heroes by David Bowie. And to us watching, we're like, oh, of course, it's it's David Bowie. But it's because we're fucking old. You know, in high school, that song comes on and it's however many years after it's made. And if you're listening to The Smiths and a bunch of other music kind of in that genre, you're probably not super well-versed in David Bowie's discography. So I think that plays to part of the freshness is that it feels fresh to us because it has these elements of these almost teenage secrets of this music and these vibes that we're too old to understand maybe now can relate to, but can't live in the moment of. But then it feels fresh to them because there's things from our childhood, from our past, that is new to them. And so it just is a very refreshing movie and a very eye-opening movie. I like that you brought up the soundtrack too, because in movies a lot, you see the same songs used a lot. And the soundtrack in this movie feels like I don't hear these songs in other movies. It gives me Garden State vibes. That was one of the first movies I watched where I was like, whoa, who are all these people on this soundtrack? Because Garden State uses their soundtrack very heavily in the movie. And I think this movie does as well. You hear a bunch of different songs all throughout this movie and it's very cool. Yeah. And the last thing I want to say for the likes, and you touched on it a little bit. Great job of casting casting people who look like high school students. Yeah. The youngest looking people. And not just the characters that we follow, but Charlie talks about his friend that he grew up with, but they don't really talk as much. And it's Julia Garner, who still looks 20 today. Yeah, she's in Ozark now, and I think she's probably in her 30s. I'm not super sure, but she's around that age, and she could pass for a 12-year-old. You know, she's very much like Zendaya in that way, where Zendaya can look 30, but also can look 15 flawlessly. I don't think she can look 30. Okay. She'll, sure. I think she always looks 15 to me. <laughs> she is fantastic, but I get what you're saying. I think everyone did look authentically young and we're not transitioning into Donnie Darko, but that's one thing both of us said when we watched Donnie Darko, because Maggie Gyllenhaal is in it and plays Donnie's sister. And we were watching it and she's supposed to be like 17 in the movie. And we're like, how old is she when she was doing this because she looks really old in this movie and she was 24 and looked 24. These people are probably in their 20s 
but definitely can pass for 17 year olds. And I liked that too, about this movie that you felt like you knew these people and you felt like if you went back in high school, this is what your friends looked like. And I thought that was a a great casting decision on the author's part to cast the people he did because they looked the part really well. I have two more strengths, really, really quick ones, nothing to expand it upon. Um, the tunnel scenes are fantastic. The visuals of the tunnel scenes are beautiful. They're so great. Um, if you've read the book, you know what I'm talking about. That's kind of some of the bigger points in the book are the tunnel scenes and it's done really well in the movie. And you remember those scenes in the movie. And then my other strength is just the quote that this movie revolves around hits you like a ton of bricks and it's, we accept the love we think we deserve. And you can see this in every single character. God, what character said that? The most handsome one, possibly? The best one. <laughs> uh, Paul Rudd says this. He plays uh, Charlie's teacher. And he's also fantastic in this movie and is in it for a very small part, but plays such a big part in breaking Charlie out of his shell and having Charlie embrace these things that he likes and not be afraid of what other people think. Plays a really big role in that. And he says this because Charlie asks him, why do people go for the wrong people? Why do they fall in love with the wrong people? And Charlie then later has this conversation with Sam that we accept the love we think we deserve. And we see this so much in the evolution of even the small characters in this movie. You take Charlie's sister, Candace, who is dating Ponytail Derek, who abuses her physically. And then we see her at prom and she's finally able to fly solo. And I think that says a lot to her character development and her growing up and accepting a love that she thinks she deserves. And the scene where she is being slapped by Ponytail Derek, she follows it up with, I I started it. I egged him on. So that speaks to the I deserved it part almost of that abuse survivor mentality. And we don't see her storyline. We don't see her character development that much. She's kind of in the background But I think it's so important that that quote fixates on every character. You see that in Patrick's relationship. You see that in Sam's relationships and how she was a freshman and she was seen as kind of the whore of the high school because she partied and drank and slept with a bunch of guys. So then she starts dating this guy who's just cheating on her and is just this playboy because she thinks that's what she deserves. But she really deserves better than that. And Charlie sees that. We're talking about Craig, right? Yeah. He's the worst character. Craig's dope. Him and Mary Elizabeth are kind of the worst, but Craig, Craig is terrible. Um, so yeah, it's just such a great quote that encapsulates everybody in this movie. And I loved that about the movie. Um, but let's talk about weaknesses of this movie. And I'm just going to go real quick with mine. Cause you already touched on it. Not enough Patrick. I would have loved For to real. see more Charlie and Patrick and more of their friendship, more of those little moments between them. I think the scene where they drove together and were on the overlook was such a great scene with just them two talking about just life and relationships and all of these relationships that revolve around them in these small suburban towns, like such a cool conversation to have and felt very authentically young. And I just wanted a little bit more of that. Yeah, my I would definitely agree with that. I think Patrick's in it too too little. 
Sam is in it too much. I knew this was coming. So Sam, the thing about this movie is while I'm watching it, the entire time I'm like, this is a movie about friendships. But they just shoehorn this like, will they, won't they thing right in the middle of it. And it feels like it moves so much better when it's these relationships between friends, even when all of the friend groups ice Charlie out, right? So after Charlie gets iced out from his friend group, he still keeps up with Bob, who's someone that's still in that friend group. They might not have been the closest, but he still keeps up with that person. That's still someone that he considers a friend. And I think the movie works better when it's moving toward with friendship instead of Sam and Charlie maybe being together, maybe not. Who knows? I guess we'll find out at the end. But at the same time, like you said, Patrick's sitting there on the side and those scenes are fantastic and really make you appreciate the movie more. I get why it's in there. I just don't prefer it. I know how you feel about these things in movies, and I couldn't disagree with you more because I think it is a beautiful testament of this will they, won't they in friendships because it happens in friendships. Things get blurry. You're growing up. You're developing feelings that you're trying to sort out. What is love? What does love look like in a friendship? What does love look like in a relationship? And I think with Sam, that's very apparent. This will they, won't they is how Charlie defines love and is it love for a friend or love for a partner? And I, I think it's just a great way to show that growing up you have, I think specifically friends of a gender that you're attracted to that it blurs the line sometimes and you have to define what that relationship looks like. And I think that's very authentically high school. And I really liked the integration of that. But I hear where you're coming from. And I know how you are with specifically high school movies or teenage movies, things like that. Why does everyone always have to fall in love? I know. know? I know you hate it. You hate love. You hate. No, it, (laughs) it feels so unrealistic with high school movies because sure, at the moment, your high school loves feel strongly but afterwards when you look back on it there's nothing there you you like this person a lot you find them attractive and that's i wish these movies would be a little more honest with that part speak for yourself i'm actively in love with five people i went to high school with surprise let me spring that on you right now go 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 what (laughs) spit take i'm kidding i'm kidding um yeah no i i think that again it's different for everybody and maybe your experience was a little different than other people's but i think i think i i had some people from high school who i held on to for quite some time through college and it's it's different for everybody but i totally get how it's not your cup of tea and i think going into donnie darko I have a weakness that is just not my cup of tea, but we'll talk about strengths first and then go into that. Okay, let's talk about your strengths first. Okay, yeah, I don't have many. So that's probably why you're uh, handing it off to me because I um, I despised this movie. I will just go ahead and say that right out the gate. Okay. Um, So my one strength of this movie, I guess, goes we're on a music theme today. The music in this movie makes very monotonous tasks seem a lot darker and grimier than they should be. So case in point, the intro scene when Donnie is riding his bike down the street and you see the camera pan from him to his sister who's jumping on a trampoline um, to his other sister who's just sitting outside and his mom who's reading Stephen King's It. 
outside. And it all seems very normal suburban. There's nothing crazy going on in any of those scenes. But I can't remember what exactly the song was, but it was a very dark, broody song. So they do that a couple times in this movie, even when Donnie is going through the halls of high school and they have these pans to all of these kids seemingly doing these, again, monotonous tasks, talking to one another by their lockers. Doing coke. Yeah, doing coke. (laughs) You know, just normal things you do in high school. That's the one exception to the monotonous task is... uh, He looked for teachers, though. Yes. Yeah. Um, Just like he's doing really normal things and, and people are getting books from their lockers and doing normal things. And it's this very dark music that makes... I think if you took the music away, it would just feel very normal and nothing special about these scenes. And these music adds to this vibe and tone that Donnie has walking through life where there's just this darkness covering even the normal baseline of life. That's fair. So I have I liked this movie. I don't really have that many things that I could actually point to and say that's what I liked about it. It tries to cover a lot of things, it seems. But going to my weakness, I'll go to my weakness first, is I'm very unclear what this movie's trying to tell me at times. Because at at times, it's almost attacking the idea that media in general negatively affects children, right? We saw that with Marilyn Manson when he was making music. This is devil's music. This is awful. And we see that. And now Marilyn Manson is canceled. Yes, Marilyn Manson is canceled. That's that's the person I think of. I don't feel any way about Marilyn Manson. I don't really listen to his music. But we see that in this movie, right? When Drew Barrymore, his teacher, assigns a book and the other teachers are against it because of how it could affect these children and their growth patterns and instead they bring in jim cunningham who ends up being this i took him almost as a religious person he gives off a vibe of a televangelist think like joel Osteen type yes but nothing about him is religious per se no he's it's, just like life coachy yeah and that's what it gives off so then while i'm watching it i'm thinking oh, this movie is about false prophets and these people that are supposed to be good. But then we find out in the movie, Donnie Darko, that he was he actually had child pornography. Same way Joel Austin had people that were hungry and needed help and decided to close his church doors to those people. Yeah. And that goes into my little detail. We'll go back to strengths and weaknesses. But since you're on this chain, um, my little detail is exactly what you just said. So I don't really have to expand much upon it, but it is that throughout this entire movie, and I I think I'm talking about this now because my little detail I thought could also be a strength that kind of blurred the lines of both. And throughout this whole movie, you have first come into this movie thinking that Frank, this bunny rabbit that seems to be a figment of Donnie's imagination and calling him a bunny rabbit is very generous because he's really creepy. Um, You think that Frank is the bad guy and that Frank is the one who is putting all this evil into the world. And then you start to realize who the bad guys are. You realize that Jim Cunningham with the facade of this life changing, let me change your attitude and change your life type of speech is actually a fucking crazy person and is awful and vile and ends up going to jail. And you realize that 
Drew Barrymore has some weird intentions as well as a teacher. And a lot of the teachers in his school are not great and are very selfish. And it's almost this. I know you didn't watch Dexter, but it's almost this Dexter fucked up mentality that comes through of. Is it more righteous of him that he's burning down the house of a man who exploits other people and is engaging in child pornography? Is it righteous of him that he does some of the other things he does and floods the school because the teachers are all kind of terrible and are just interested in propelling some of the more popular groups of kids like the dancing stars and the kids who are in the talent show and the kids who are doing things right and just like to yell at Donnie for having a difference of opinions. It's just interesting thinking about this good versus evil mentality and going back to what the fuck is this film about? Like, is Frank this deity? Yeah. Is he or is it mental illness? Is it what is it? And I think that's very confusing and something you can't really nail down too much. But I did like that you were just seeing more and more that while Frank's intentions weren't pure or great and Donnie wasn't doing great things, he was shedding some light on some people who truly were vile in this movie. Yes. And it goes to the short story that is taught to them by Drew Barrymore's character, the the teacher. And that is the short story where these kids find this old man's money and then they burn it. Right. They don't they don't steal it. They don't spend it. They just burn it. And it's almost like with the idea that the media is influencing children. Donnie's that person where they can point to. But I don't I don't really believe that personally because uh, people play video games all the time and it doesn't really affect people the way that the extremists want you to believe. Anyway, that's a completely different topic. But my dislike on this movie is I really don't know what's going on because they throw in time travel into this movie and I'm not sure exactly how it goes. But once they introduce time travel and realize that this flight crashed and the plane turbine hit Donnie's room and he died, I was thinking maybe this is Donnie replaying his life before his eyes, but things that never happened. And I'm kind of confused by the entire thing. I'm just confused about this whole movie. And my weakness of this movie is that uh, I just don't like the tone of it. I really hate these types of movies where there's no positive feelings. Very opposite from perks where you felt everything. This movie that I think would be a strength for some people, but just personally, not for me is this movie almost had a flat affect. It was very, here it is, figure it out yourself. Not really full of joy, not really full of emotions, feelings, not to say that the characters didn't have feelings, but it just wasn't trying to portray a bunch of different emotions. It was more of a thought-based movie than a feelings-based movie. And again, I know other people can appreciate that, but for me, I just didn't like that because along with that, if you have a thought based movie that also evokes any kind of feelings whatsoever, whether it be excitement, joy, sadness, fear, whatever it is, I think you have the motivation to go back and rewatch it and think, okay, what is really happening? Case in point, Inception, right? You watch it the first time. You're not sure what's happening. You're not sure of all of the complexities in the plot, but you're excited by it. 
enough that you would go back and watch it again. Most people, I think this movie, I didn't like it because of the overall tone of it. So I'm not interested in going back and trying to look at the little pieces and try and figure out more about what it's about. That's fair. So you already did your little detail. My little detail is that everyone that's reading a book is only on the third page of this book. (laughs) You mentioned that uh, during the movie. And I was like, maybe they're just starting out. What if they're part of a book club? Who knows? Well, so what I thought, because this is one of those books that has like a cult following. So I thought it was going to be something where if you watch it steadily enough that you'll see things that you wouldn't notice. So when everyone was on like the third page right at the beginning of the movie, like everyone's reading, Donnie's in his room reading, his dad's in his room reading. Uh, His mom was reading in the beginning scene. Yes. And they're all on basically the third page. I thought they would continue to read. But as the movie went, they would be like farther into their books or something like that. But it never happened. So I'm like, oh, okay. They just picked this book up and they flipped a couple pages and pretended to read for the movie. To be fair, his mom could probably look like she's on page three of Stephen King's It. But because it's roughly seven million pages long, she's probably on page like a thousand fifty. That's fair. (laughs) So but I I know what you're saying, because we were watching that movie. And then when you pointed it out, because I think the first one you pointed out was Donnie in his room when he was reading and was very clearly on page three or the first chapter of whatever he was reading. Then I noticed it throughout the movie of everyone who was reading and just starting their books. I don't think that has any meaning. I think that was just very random, but yeah. But the one thing that I knew about this movie before you watched it is everything in it almost has a secret meaning. So instead of this being a movie, it almost feels like a puzzle to figure out. That's fair. So you're picking up little pieces as it goes along and thinking they have some kind of importance in the context of the plot or whatnot. I hear what you're saying. And I might rewatch Donnie Darko again at some point just to try and get a better hold on it. Okay, well, you can do that on your own. I will. (laughs) You want to go into our last category? Uh, Well, let's go into little details about Perks of Being a Wallflower because we forgot about that. Um, Mine is very small and it is a very little detail, but I really enjoyed all the party scenes in this movie. And the fact that they were in basements and the basements felt very much like the basements of your friend's house that you went to visit I really liked that because you see a lot of these party scenes where they're in these giant houses of their parents. And when I was in high school, not that I really like partied in high school, but we went to people's houses to like watch movies or something like that. It was always in their parents' basement. Their parents' basement was always kind of dimly lit, had those fabric couches that were kind of old with like the wooden arms on them. And had maybe like a vague pool table in the distance that nobody really played that was missing a bunch of balls and shit. That's how all the basements I went to in high school looked like. And I just appreciated that because you see some of these party scenes in some of these movies and TV shows and you're like, that's not where I went and partied, but okay. Um, So that was my little detail. I thought it was very cool and kind of played back to this authenticness of this movie and the authenticness of what high school feels like internally for people. And you can look at this setting just as you can look at these people in this movie and say, that's what my friends look like. That's what so-and-so's basement looked like. I remember that. It feels very true to what the environment was. 
I like that. Mine is the incredibly mean characters. The person that sits next to him in class, it keeps it grounded. So this movie doesn't run off with Charlie end up ending up becoming the popular kid like in Mean Girls, because that's originally where I thought this was going, is that he was going to get these friends. Then he, when he learned Patrick's secret of being gay with Brad, he was going to tell everyone to get more popularity. But this one small character that literally just hurls insults at him. I think only three times throughout the movie keeps us knowing that Charlie is still not necessarily the cool kid. He just has friends now. Well, and it's just the clicks in high school. I think watching this movie, I thought very much of my days in high school and coming from a high school where there were 800 kids in our graduating class. I had a very small group of friends and that was the theater kids. That was me. I was the obnoxious one singing in the hallways in the morning. Her and her friends were the ones that awkwardly make were making out by your locker. And you were <laughs> like, uh, can you excuse me? I got to get in here. I need some books. No, not so much. But it reminded me of that. Like there were the popular kids in the subset of the theater kids. There were the ones who had more friends or who got the lead roles and who were just more outspoken and out there and you wanted to be like them. That was the kid that always was like, let's go to Steak and Shake. (laughs) But but yeah, but they were not the popular kid in school that didn't translate over to the entire population. And I think it, again, speaks so well to what high school looks like, especially coming from a bigger high school. Yeah. But basically, my little detail was that girl that hurled some insults. Yeah, she's She's good at it. She was garbage. Uh, Let's go into then why this would make somebody's favorite movie, why each of these would be someone's favorite movie. And let's just stay with perks since we're on it. Okay, this would be someone's favorite movie because without being overly corny, this is a great dramatic high school movie. It might be too corny for some people, but I don't really think it does that much. I agree. And that kind of is one of mine. I think this is someone's favorite movie if you're truly an empath and you want to feel some things and you have this nostalgia aspect of you where you not only look back on things and remember them, but you remember how you felt when you were in them. I think that's how I am. I watched this movie and I felt the things I felt in high school. I related some of these characters to people I knew relationships that were maybe confusing for me in high school and really felt that again. And I think if you're an empath and can do those things, this movie will feel very good to you. And I think if you just really like coming of age films, I think this is a really, really good one. If you like coming of age films that aren't just about these series of events that happen in people's lives in high school and within friends and within classes and all of those things you stereotypically see and you want more deeper levels of individuals and you want to look at these people not as a collective unit but as individuals i think this is 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 why it's a favorite movie for you I really think this is just a well done movie. I really think it's it's special. And I remember reading the book in high school and thinking it was special. And this movie is just really great. Okay, so why do you think someone would choose Donnie Darko as their favorite movie? I think that the person who appreciates and finds Donnie Darko as their favorite movie 
is because you like analyzing movies. You don't like things that come to you at face value. You like to dig a little deeper. You like to think on things and you push against the typical coming of age film, very similar to Perks of Being a Wallflower, but you very much resist some of the stereotypical cookie cutter things that come with these coming of age films. You like things a little darker. You like it to be a little bit more brooding and you really want to figure things out and pick things apart. And that interests you. I think that would make it somebody's favorite movie. I agree with all of that. I also have that they enjoy that Tim Burton style of suburbia. Yes. Yeah. That you feel in Edward Scissorhands. Yeah. Very similar. Where everything feels normal, but in just slightly off where it's like everything is normal, but you can tell that things aren't right. And that's something with this movie is it feels like a normal neighborhood, normal neighborhood, normal school, normal teachers, but everything is just slightly off and you can't necessarily put your finger on it, but it gives you that uncomfortable feeling of not necessarily feeling safe in suburbia. And I think the movie does a great job of that. My other reason that someone that this would be someone's favorite movie is that they understand it way better than I do. <laughs> yes. Yeah. If you're like listening to this podcast and think we're total idiots and are like, duh, this means this, then it's your favorite. One of your favorite movies. Duh. The time travels there because time is cyclical. <laughs> yeah. We're just we're two big boneheads when it comes to this movie and really don't know what's going on. But maybe Sean will one day after his rewatch, but I, yeah, I'll watch I will it not again. be partaking. It, it piques my interest enough for me to want to watch it again, just to try and figure it out. That's fair. All right. Well, that being said, let's uh, go into the probably not surprise reveal of what movie advances to the next round in this matchup. This was closer for me than it was for Kim. It was, as was um, our last episode, which was the birdcage versus Django. Those were very close for me, not very close for you. Um, But I think in this one, we both agree that we lean towards one more than the other. So on the count of three, three, two, one, the perks, perks of, of being, being a wallflower. Love the perks of being a wallflower. It's so good, you guys. It's so, so good. Um, Donnie Darko, also really interesting. Like we've said before, I didn't love it. Sean thought it was pretty all right. But two very different aesthetics, but both pretty all right movies that have high approval ratings. So a lot of people like these in general. So the perks of being a wallflower will move on to our next round. And then going forward, we're going to keep trucking on with these four versus five ranked movies. So next week, our episode will be Inside Man, which is a fourth seed versus Zach. Doctor versus Dr. Zavago, which is our fifth seed. And that will drop on Monday, February 15th. So check that out. You can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Anchor, Breaker, a couple other podcast networks. Um, We appreciate so much all of the people who listen to our first episode, people who are following along in our bracket challenge. If you want to check out where you are right now, we don't have a lot of points coming in because we're only into our second movie, but you can go on Chalonge.com slash the cinema matchups and you can find your bracket and follow along with how many points you're getting in this bracket challenge. 
Very, very exciting. Very excited to see who wins this one. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at The Cine Matchups and follow along with our posts and anything we put on there. We appreciate your guys' support. We appreciate you guys listening. And for The Cine Matchups for this week, we are Kim Fuller and Sean Rodenberg, and we will see you next time. 